I am thankful to be here this morning. We're in Revelation chapter 3. It's good to be here today. We've been walking through the book of Revelation, and uh, we are in Revelation chapter number 3 today. And uh, verse number 14 and following, we are on the seventh church of seven churches uh, that have been written to in the book. And uh, today we're talking about the lukewarm church, the lukewarm church church and uh, I was reading this week and, and read a story about a little boy <clears throat> who finally had the opportunity to go to big church and uh, you know what that means when you're a kid that grows up in a church you get to come into the big church and uh, he came to big church and when he did he did, he noticed on the back wall up there uh, there were three lights up there and don't turn around we don't have them here but uh, with, there were three lights up there and uh, and they had a red a green and a yellow and the little boy was asking his dad, he said, what are those, what are those lights up there for? And, and, and his dad said, well, that's, that's to let the preacher know what's happening in the service. When he's preaching, uh, he can look up, and if he sees the green light, that means he's got five minutes left in the service. And then when it turns to yellow, he knows that he's got one minute left in the service. And then when it turns red, it means it's, it's done, it's, it's, it's over. And, uh, and, and, so, and so during the service, that little boy was sitting there, and after a while, he was like, I'm ready for this to be over. So he started watching the lights at the back. And, uh, and, and, and all of a sudden, man, it went green. And then, and then it went yellow. And then when it went red, the preacher was still going. And that little boy was sitting there. And so he shook on his daddy's shirt. He's like, Daddy, Daddy. The sermon's over, but the preacher's still preaching. <laughs> and uh, I was thinking about that, and, uh, and, and I was thinking about this church at, at uh, Laodicea. And Laodicea was a church where really the effective ministry was done, but they were still doing it. Uh, and, and they were unaware as to what was happening uh, in and around their ministry. And uh, they didn't know that it was already over for them. And so God help us to be very much in touch with what the Holy Spirit says to us. When I was reading through uh, the book of Revelation, uh, the seven churches, the seven churches are written to, they're literal churches, literal messages to a group of people, uh, uh, but have application for the church. And, and so we would include ourselves in that. And not just a church, a body, a local, but, but the church. And so each one of us, there's pieces and parts probably to all of the letters that make great application for every single one of us. You can find bits and pieces of everything, of every one of the churches, in any church you go to anywhere. And so it's written for us. That being said, I was thinking about the church, especially the church in our Western world, the church of the United States of America. And I believe, this is just me, uh, but I believe that if we were to say, which, if you were to ask me, which one of the letters is the most relevant uh, letter to the church in the United States of America? I would say this one that we're talking about today, uh, the letter to the church at Laodicea. Uh, when you talk about our nation, our nation, again, an incredible nation, and I love the United States of America. And uh, we were founded, again, on Judeo-Christian principles. Uh, we were founded by people searching for religious freedom and for the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, uh, and so I'm grateful to God, but what we created was a nation where it was very comfortable Christianity. And as a result, we've seen a decline happening in our nation, not just in our nation, but I believe that it's largely in part and due to the life of the church. 
Uh, that being said, when you talk about the past five years in the life of our nation, the past five years we've had what I would consider an unparalleled moral collapse as a nation. Looking back over five decades, that's talking about my lifetime. <clears throat> in my lifetime, we've seen a 560% increase in violent crimes, 400% increase in illegitimate births, which means that people, again, have embraced the lifestyle of fornication and adultery. It's not a big deal anymore in the life of our nation. There's no shame. We, we, we don't know how to blush any longer about sin before a holy God. 6% of the world's population live right here in our nation, but yet 80% of the divorces are happening right here in our land. We've seen an assault on the sanctity of life, an assault on the sanctity of marriage, and the question's got to be asked, what's wrong with the nation? And there was a man by the name of Alexis de Tocqueville, and he was a French writer. And in 1831, he was writing, and he wanted to write on democracy in America. And so he traveled, and he began to search across our nation doing research on democracy in America. And this was his conclusion. Listen to what he found when he came in 1831. He said, I sought for the greatness of the United States in her commodious harbors, her ample rivers, and fertile fields, and boundless forests, and it was not there. I sought for it in her rich uh, mines, in her vast commerce, her public school system, and in her institutions of higher learning, and it was not there. I looked for it in her democratic congress and her matchless constitution, and it was not there. Not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits flame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because America is good. And if America uh, ceases to be good, then America will cease to be great. And what a prophetic word for the United States of America. We've had a... Moral collapse as a nation because the church of America is sick. And God help us understand. I believe that when we're talking about the church in America, I believe that we've had glory days. And, 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 and this morning, I'm not one that says, hey, all hope is gone because my hope is in resurrection power. My hope is in Jesus Christ. My hope is not, our hope today is not found in who our next president's going to be. Our hope is not found in what kind of laws are passed as a nation. Our hope is found in Jesus Christ alone and in his people. And when his people, when his people shall humble themselves and pray, turn from their wicked ways and seek his face. Then he will bring healing to the land. I believe the key is held in the church of Jesus Christ, but I think part of our problem is that we're very much like the church at Laodicea, where we would say, man, look at how well everything is going. Look at our lights. Look at our sound. Look at our numbers. Look at our buildings. Everything's wonderful in the church of America, to which I would say, oh, no, no, no. God, open our eyes to reality. Open our eyes and let us see what you see among your people today. And that's my prayer for us today. Revelation chapter 3, verse number 14 and following. And the Bible says it like this. <clears throat> to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, says this. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. And I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I'm rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, 
and you do not know that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. And those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And this morning, God help us... <clears throat> To just have eyes to see what you see. He begins the letter the same as he has seven times over. And uh, it's an introduction of Jesus Christ. He introduces himself using a threefold introduction. He says, first of all, the amen in verse number 14. Three times over, he says, the amen. What do you mean the amen? It's a word of confirmation or completion. And so when you're talking about the Bible, when you go back and look at all of the Old Testament and all of the feasts and all the fasts and all the sacrifices, what those were was a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ came, he was the confirmation of everything that had been. He was and is the amen. That's who he is. He's the confirmation of everything about God the Father. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter number 1 and verse number 20. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 20. For as many as the promises of God in him they are yes. Therefore also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. He is in fact the amen. He's the faithful and the true witness. He's the faithful and the true witness. What do you mean the faithful and the true witness? Here's the deal. Oftentimes what we like to do is we, we, we can see so clearly the issues in other people, but if Jesus Christ were writing to us today and we were fully convinced that everything is well with us, and he were to say, no, it's not, we would struggle with that. And so in his introduction, he's saying, hey, listen, I never, I never dilute the truth. I will not fabricate the truth. <clears throat> in fact, I won't distort the truth. When you're talking about Jesus Christ, he's never guilty of perjury. In fact, Jesus Christ is the faithful and true witness that just simply tells it like it is. That's what I want to be. I want to be somebody that just tells it like it is. You know what I'm saying? I, in fact, I had a, there was a fellow one time, greatest compliment I ever had. Uh, we had a guy that was coming here, and he was a member here, actually, for a number of years. And, and, and every week, he would come by, and he'd say, Preacher, that was a good sermon. You just tell it like it is. And I said, well, I try to tell it like it is. I hope, I hope to God that we can tell it like it is. Jesus Christ didn't just hope. He did. He was the faithful and the true witness is who he is. I am the way, the truth, and the life. The beginning of the creation of God. The beginning of the creation of God, it says. In fact, uh, the beginning, the word for beginning is also a word for origin or for source. In other words, he's not a created being. Be careful that you look at that and don't say, well, he was the first one created by God Almighty. No, he is God Almighty, and he's the origin and the source of everything that has been Created. In fact, John's gospel says it like this in John chapter 1 and in verses number 1 and following. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In other words, he's the originator of everything. He's the beginning of 
everything. He gives this introduction. And so Jesus Christ, again, we're writing me a letter today. And so what I like to do is, is take this letter and God help me to draw a circle around me and let me receive what you have for me today. And God help all of us to just say, God, speak to me today. The one who knows all things, the one who speaks all truth, the one who is the amen from the Father above. And so he writes, verse number 15, he goes on, and he says it like this, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot, and I wish that you were cold or hot, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth, because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. They had problems in the church at Laodicea, and the greatest problem was that they didn't know they had a problem. I mean, I mean imagine today, imagine today, <clears throat> if you had cancer, would you not want to know that I got a problem? I, I got a problem, especially when the one who is writing is the great physician who's able to bring healing. And that's what he's saying to this church. He's saying, hey, you have a problem, twofold problem that you've got. Number one, a spiritual indifference, and number two, a spiritual ignorance. There's, there's a couple of things going on. Spiritual indifference. Spiritual indifference. They made Jesus Christ sick. What happened? Nobody, I would say this morning, that if you are saved this morning, nobody, when you got saved, you didn't say, man, I can't wait for the day that I really just make Jesus Christ sick. Nobody's going to set out to do that. So what happens? What happened to the church? Why was it that they made Jesus Christ nauseated to the point of vomiting them out? What was going on? Well, when you're talking about this, this group of people, Laodicea, he's writing to them, and, and Laodicea just so happened to be a part of a tri-city area. Uh, when you're talking about their ge geography, they were a part of a tri-city area. There was Colossae, and there was Hierapolis, and then there was Laodicea. Colossae happened to have cold springs, famous for their cold springs, where people would go and they would be refreshed. You ever been to Fresh Springs, Blue Springs? I mean, it's amazing. It's freezing. It's really punishment, actually, to swim in it. But uh, if you go deep enough, if you go deep enough, I, I don't know if you've never tried this before or not, but I've gone deep enough to where you just go down there and just drink the water. And uh, you know, I wouldn't do that. Well, that's fine. There's a reason why I'm bald today. <clears throat> Colossae had cold springs. Hierapolis had what they considered as hot springs. I don't know if you've ever been to hot springs, but hot springs bring healing. That's what they're all about. Uh, Laodicea was a city with no springs, but what they did have is they built an aqueduct system, and the aqueduct system would bring the water down to the city so that the city might have water. By the time the water ran its course, it got down there, and what happened was along the way, it got lukewarm, so it was no longer cool and refreshing, and it was no longer hot for healing, but instead, it was lukewarm and really good for nothing by the time it got there. You ever drank lukewarm water? It's good for nothing. And so what he's saying is this. The problem that this church had is you have separated yourself from the source. You've separated yourself from the source. And you've become lukewarm. 
John 15, verse number 5 and 6. The Bible says it like this. In John 15, verse number 5 and 6. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they're burned. He's just simply saying, man, if you're not spending time with Jesus Christ, and what happens to you is you become lukewarm. Lukewarmness. And you know what happens to a lukewarm person? It's evident. It becomes evident in their deeds and what they do. In other words, we oftentimes say, man, my relationship with Jesus Christ is a private matter. Well, that's all fine and good. But I tell you what, if you're connected to the source, then you're going to bear fruit along the way. And what happens is when our deeds, our deeds all of a sudden reveal what's wrong. And, and this church, you could see it in their deeds. What, is it, what do the deeds look like when a church loses, again, their connectivity to Jesus Christ? What does it look like in a person's life or in a church's life? I tell you, one of the things I believe that's evidenced in a church where uh, 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 we, we have become lukewarm is when you have a passionless preacher. A past, you ever been aware that there's a passionless, passionless preacher? In other words, what happens to him is all of a sudden you can tell. He's just simply bored with the content of Jesus Christ. You, ever, you know what I'm talking about? You ever been there? Now why is it so boring in here? Because the preacher's bored with Jesus, that's why. Why is he bored with Jesus? Because he separated himself from the source and he's gotten stinking lukewarm. And so he's just a mild-mannered man trying to teach people how to be mild along the way instead of a hot-hearted preacher that calls people to repentance with a sense of urgency and unction about him. God, help us recognize Jesus Christ. Help us stay connected. We say, man, I, I'm just trying to cut my sermons. I've got people, oh man, I'm just trying to cut my sermons back to 18 minutes because I don't want to lose people's interest. Well, man, I hope they're not interested in you, but if you're preaching Jesus Christ the way you ought to, then it doesn't matter how long you preach. Preach a text, whatever the time. Somebody told me, man, you need to be, have commercial breaks along the way. How ridiculous is that? That's the truth. You need to have commercial breaks along the way every 10 minutes because you can't keep people's attention for more than 10 minutes. Well, I don't know. I was sitting at Florida State last night, and even though we stinking lost, they kept everybody's attention for a long time. A long time. In fact, well, I... It's amazing what will keep our attention. What are we interested in? That'll keep your attention. Why do people get bored? Sometimes it's because of boring preachers. Sometimes it's because you're bored with Jesus. God help us. I, I, I call a, when you're talking about the deeds in a church, there's what I call songless singers, songless singers. What's a songless singer? Well, you know, to, to sing a song, what you have to have is a song in your heart. And sometimes you have singers that just don't have a song in their heart, but they voice the words. That's a songless singer. In fact, sometimes you have people that are just flat songless in the church. Why are they songless? Because they don't have a song in their heart. <laughs> That's the ones that don't sing. I just don't like to sing. Find the right music, I bet you do. Y'all all right? I mean, that just happens. And, and, and you look at the church and you say, man, what's wrong with the church? Well, maybe the church has become lukewarm. 
Why are they lukewarm? Because they're separated from the source. What do their deeds look like? Songless singers, passionless preachers. They don't give anymore. A lot of folks don't give. A lot of folks don't go. Sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's an overflow of a life connected to Jesus Christ. That's why it happens. Why is it that 98% of the church of Jesus Christ have never even shared the gospel of Jesus Christ in the last year? Because we're lukewarm. We say, man, we're great. We get together every week and we sing songs and we have lights and everything's good. Why, why aren't we sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ? God help us. You know how we get separated from the source? As individuals, we stop opening the word of God. See, a quiet time is not just about a discipline. A quiet time is about a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. It really is. I just want to spend time with Jesus. I mean, I mean, I mean think about a marriage. Think about a marriage, which is what the Bible describes as the church. The church is the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ. I would really struggle. I would really struggle if my wife said, Hey, on Mondays you can talk to me, but the rest of the week, you know, don't care to hear anything from you. <laughs> How ridiculous is that? And yet, how many people, the only time they open the Word of God is when they come to church on a Sunday morning. You say, oh, but we're good. We're connected. No, you're not. You're not. If you're not, if you're not, if you're not connected, you're not connected. I mean, if you're not in the Word, then we're just not connected. Spiritual, again, Indifference, but also spiritual ignorance. Verse number 17. <clears throat> the church said, the church said, I'm rich. I've become wealthy. I don't need anything. But you don't know that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. They were oblivious to what was happening in the life of the church. They were oblivious to their own personal spiritual life. It's not just about coming to church. You, know, you have people that come to church every single week. Every single week. And yet they're disconnected from the source. I, I remember I was in Raleigh, North Carolina preaching on Sunday. And uh, I was invited to come to this church, and they didn't tell me that uh, their children were going to do a little presentation that morning. They did a children's choir presentation. It was wonderful, wonderful. And, and I'm not a clock guy. If you're a member here, you know I'm not a clock guy. Even though I've got a clock, I'm not a clock guy. But that day, I was a visitor, and I remember thinking, man, I don't know how long, they how long the service lasts, but... Uh, I still got a message to preach. <laughs> so I'm not sure what we're supposed to do. I was invited to come at 10 minutes till noon. 10 minutes till noon. Because that day I looked at the clock. And, uh, and so I, in my head, I was like, man, how do I preach my text today? 
and I did. And, and so I preached my text, and it was, it was a crazy, it was a, it was a God moment. There was a, a great response, and, and there was a couple, two, two people got saved. But let me tell you one, something great that happened. I had two whole families, two whole families came down front weeping because they haven't spoken in 18 years. Went to the same stinking church, but in 18 years they've had a family feud going on. And God healed them that day. Crazy. Such a blessing. And I remember when the invitation was over, I started preaching at 10 till noon. The invitation was over, and they asked me to go to the back of the service to greet people. And on my way back there, I was thinking, I wonder what time it is. And I looked down at my clock, and it was 10 minutes afternoon. 10 minutes afternoon. And people came walking by. And uh, that day, there was an old man that came by. <clears throat> and... Uh, he grabbed me right here. He said, son, you need to get your watch fixed. <laughs> I said, if you don't get your hand off me, I'm going to break your hand. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> I didn't say that. I didn't say that. <laughs> I thought it, though. <laughs> God help me. But to my core, I'll never forget the words. And I was like, man, you need to get your heart fixed. You got a serious heart problem. Comes to church every week. Pillar in the church. But so far from the source and so stinking lukewarm that you're sickening to Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus was saying. A lot of times when we come, we come to church and hear a word, and our immediate response is deflection from the word. What do you mean deflection from the word? If I had a dollar for every time somebody said, I wish mm, could have been here to hear that one. See, I, I believe God brought who he brought to hear this one. It's always somebody else needs to hear. But what about me? And what about you? I need to hear. I need God give me ears. Help me see in me what you see so that I'm not deceived like the church at Laodicea. They didn't even see the problem that they had. And it was a major problem to the point that Jesus said, man, I am nauseated. And so he counsels them in verse number 18 and 19, he says, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. To whom I love, I, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and <clears throat> repent. And what Jesus was doing in verse number 18 and 19 was he was addressing their sources of security, their sources of security. In other words, when you're talking about the land of Laodicea, this town of Laodicea, they had several things going for them, three major industries in the town of Laodicea, if you read, and you'll find that they had a banking industry, and so he's just simply saying, hey, you know, one of the sources of your security is your banking system, is the dollars that you have in your bank account. And a lot of times what happens to us is if our 
bills are paid and we got plenty of money, then I don't need Jesus anymore. I've got it covered. And what happens is we grow independent and less dependent on Jesus Christ. Not only did they have a banking industry, they had a, a wool industry. In fact, they would grow sheep that were, had a black coat on them, and they would use this black coat to make carpets, and, 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 and they made a lot of money off of what they were doing. And so they had great jobs. And, and a lot of times what happens is, man, as long as i got a good job, then I don't need Jesus anymore because i got it covered. And, and do, you know, do you know that... You say, man, I've worked hard for my job. What happens is I worked hard for my You don't know how hard I studied. You don't know how far I've come. Can I tell you something? The only reason why you have anything is because you have a good God that's enabled you and allowed you to have everything you've got. Everything. And he says medical. He's talking about eye salve. So Laodicea had this medical field, this eye salve that they made that people would use to help them see. And Jesus says, oh, listen, if you'll come and get medical attention from me, you'll be able to see clearly. <laughs> and so he's hitting them, really, at the source of their security. You know, it's, it's interesting in life. When life goes really well for us, really well meaning materially. I mean, in other words, I have my family. I have my health. I've got my wealth. Everything is honky-dory. Then what happens to us is, if we're not careful, it doesn't mean that if those things are met, we have to go there, but it just simply means this, that when life is good, oftentimes we forget Jesus. In other words, we like to let the good times roll. Man, life's good. I'm buying me houses everywhere and boats everywhere. I'll, I'll check in every now and then. <laughs> oh, but God's been good to me. If he's been so good to you, why don't you gather with the saints of God for worship? Don't give lip service to his lordship. Oh, he's been good. Oh, really? I'm sure he has. But make sure that you're honoring him in every area. And don't get disconnected from the source. When life is good, we lose desperation for God. And he says, you need to repent. You need to repent. There is an answer. You don't have to stay where you are. You repent. There's hope. In other words, he's not saying, I'm done with you. He's saying, I, I don't want to be done with you. I want you to repent. And I want you to come back home. I want you to reconnect with me. So we have the call in verse number 20 and 21. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him. And will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne. As I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So we have the call of Jesus Christ. He's calling out. First to believers to repent. He's saying, man, I, I want fellowship with you. I want intimacy with you. That's what he desires from us. It, it, it's not our service. It's not our acts. It, it, it's not our acts. He says, I just want to be with you. I want to be with you. And he calls us home. And so there's this call to believers to repent. But there's also a call, I believe, to people who are church people, who are religious people, who have never been saved. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. 
If any man hears my voice and opens the door, then I will come in to him. John 6, 44, Jesus was talking, and Jesus said, Hey, if any man... Uh, it says, no man can come to me unless the Father who sent me has drawn him. No man can come to me unless the Father who sent me has drawn him. Why you say that verse? Because that's how, that's how God knocks on the door of the heart is through his Holy Spirit. That's how he knocks. And maybe today you're here and you'd say, man, I don't know what's going on, but I know that God's knocking. Open the door. Open the door. God, I need you. I need you. Give us eyes to see clearly what you see, ears to hear your voice, and Lord Jesus, be glorified in me. Let me connect. Are you hot for Jesus? Or have you become lukewarm, disconnected from the source? Oh, you can reconnect. Just open the door. Would you do me a favor this morning and join me for a time of prayer? This morning we're going to pray, and after we pray, we're going to sing a song, and when the song is finished, we'll be down front down here. And maybe this morning you're here and you would say, you know what, I, I've been coming to church, but I'm not saved. And today you know, because God's spoken to you, and you'd say, man, I need to be saved today. You come, you come. Maybe this morning you're here and you say, man, I, I know that I'm saved. I know that I'm saved, but I know too that I have drifted and I am not connected to the source. Hey, if today you hear his voice knocking, it's because he loves you and wants intimacy with you. So before you leave today, repent. God, I'm going to stop being too busy for you. God, I'm going to stop reading everybody else's stories on Facebook and read your story in the Bible. I'm going to come back to you, God. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the mercy that you have shown me every single day. Your mercies are new and they greet me. And God, I am so thankful for today. But God, I ask you if you would search our hearts today. Because God, I don't want to be lukewarm. I don't want to be self-deceived. So search me. Begin with me. But God, I pray for my brothers and sisters today that you would search us. Have your way today. God, we love you. We thank you for your love. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.